0: Guys, my name's Dave. Always fun to be with my Timberlake family. Uh, For those watching online, we say hello to you, the different campuses, those of you who watch via hologram technology, Facebook Live, virtual reality. I mean, there are so many ways that it seems like people are watching. And so uh, we welcome you. And I'm gonna start today by just saying congratulations on 30 years. Oh, that's a smattering of applause, right? 30 years, I want you to think about that, right? 30 years ago, The internet had not even been launched. Amazon was not a thing, right? Which meant we had to go to the box stores. We had to go to some physical location to buy something really, really lame. 30 years ago, we were watching movies on VHS tapes. If you were talking to someone on the phone at your house, remember that coily cord? right that spiral cord that you attach it to the wall it was like for 42 feet that you could go to different rooms uh 30 years ago pastor ben was still serving his prison term 30 years ago seattle had a basketball team oh i just went there 30 years ago michael bolton was asking the great question how am i supposed to live without you any new kids on the block fans six of you Woo! Over the past 30 years, we have watched fanny packs go from being cool and in style and everybody needed one to being totally dorky, why would you ever have one of those, to being cool again. That is a complete revolution of style. And so 30 years is a big deal. Pastor Ben alluded, it to, uh, alluded to it earlier uh, that most churches 30 years old, and I know this because I study churches, I go to conferences, I read books, churches that are 30 years old are either plateaued, stuck, Or in significant decline. But there have been just some really cool things over the years that have unfolded in this church, and you are in one of your most exciting seasons. And uh, I've spoken a minimum here of what five or six times a year, which means you do the math. Right, Pastor Ben said you do the math, and it is over a year of messages over the last decade. And I only say that to let you know I'm out of material. I have no new illustration, no new content, so I'm just gonna throw things at you that I've already thrown at you. Uh, The fact is, 30 years is something worth making a documentary about, because it's a feel-good story. And we need more feel-good stories in our world, because everybody likes it when a story unfolds, and everybody's smiling and happy. I mean, just take movies, right? We love it when, after a long embrace with Elliot, E.T. gets back on a spaceship and heads for home with his friends. Or when Dorothy wakes up from her dream and she's no longer in Oz, but she's surrounded by her family and friends. Oh, right? We love it when Nemo's dad heads back home with his little clownfish by his side. Or when, after three hours of atrocious acting and forced dialogue, the ship finally goes down and Leonardo freezes to death, man. <laughs> One of the great phrases in our English language is, and they lived happily ever after. Yeah, that's how we want movies to end. That's how we want fairy tales to end. And of course, that's how we want our lives to end. We want our lives to unfold in this great, happy way, which is why in elementary or middle school, some of us played a game. Now, I know I'm not alone on this, but there was a game I played. Mostly it was girls that played it, but I got involved called MASH, Mansion, Apartment, Shack, and House. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. All the ladies in the room. Yeah, that was us and me. Mansion, Apartment, Shack, and House. If you've never played it, it's just basically you write down a list of people you could potentially marry or think you're going to potentially marry, a list of places you're going to live, a list of locations that you're going to reside, a list of kind of cars you're going to drive, how many kids you're going to have, and then Through some algorithm, you decide, you just start crossing things out until there's one in each category. And it's like, I'm gonna marry Cindy Crawford, we're gonna have 15 kids, we're gonna drive a Rolls Royce, we're gonna live in Hawaii, and it's like this amazing life. But of course, what we all learn over time is that life isn't always unicorns and rainbows and cotton candy. We live in a very broken world. And so the question that we are forced to confront on a somewhat regular basis is how do we maintain hope in a world that seems hopelessly broken. In fact, the series we're in today is called Stretch, Thriving in the Midst of Life Stresses. How do we maintain hope in the midst of a stressful life, in the midst of a difficult life, in the midst of a challenging life or a challenging season? Now just to make sure we're all on the same page, the way I'm gonna define hope for you is very simple. Hope is wherever I place my confidence. So I can have hope in a career, I can have hope in my finances, I can have hope in the ability to make money, I can have hope in a talent, I can have hope in my friends, I can have hope in my kids. I mean, hope is wherever I place my confidence. And the crazy thing about hope is we actually don't think much about it. I don't think every day about where am I placing my hope. The way we end up thinking about hope is when what we have placed our confidence in fails on us. When it doesn't come through for us. When we realize the foundation I'm standing on is starting to crumble, that's when hope comes to the forefront of our mind. So where are you placing your hope? Because you need to place your hope in something more than your situation or a person. Right? Because all of us have difficult seasons we go through, and maybe for you it's you dreamed of kids your whole life, and now you realize you're not going to have biological kids, or your financial situation may be crumbling despite the economy moving forward, right? Maybe maybe for you, it's like your kids are going down a path you never wish they went down, or, or your marriage, you were thinking in this season of your life, it would be happily ever after, but now you're picking up broken pieces, and none of us realize and think about where we're putting hope until the foundation starts to crumble. And what I hope and what my prayer is for Timberlake Church is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you would learn, you would find a way, you would be able to get to the depth of your heart and say, man, I am gonna do my best to not place my hope in anything other than in God. That's not an easy thing to do, right? King David of Israel, he writes about this, and it's a song that he writes. He, He says this, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. And then I love this. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Now, I gotta tell you, I wish that this was like the truth of my heart, like my hope is in you alone. And I'm guessing if you follow Jesus, you wish that you could say that, but come on, we're Americans. It's almost impossible for us to only put our hope in God. Right, because for us, we live a pretty comfortable life. And once again, the only time we really think about where we're putting our hope is when life starts to fall apart. Have you ever had your life fall apart? Right, maybe it's something outside of your control that happened and now you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. Or maybe it's a decision you made. Now I know this is a really lighthearted, trite story, but there have been decisions in my life that I realized, uh-oh, I'm not as in control as I think I am. Right? Years ago, uh, 15 years ago now, I was living in San Diego and I was actually working for Pastor Ben. So he was my, uh, he was my boss, I was the children's pastor. And so i had this crazy idea we were going to do this big event it was called slime time live and we bought all this powder to make slime And it was like a four-week event and every week we'd make this slime and kids would have a lot of fun and they'd get really messy and parents hated us because the cars would get filled with all this gunk but we just kept doing it and every week we would replace the slime but on week three i thought i'm gonna save some money and some time and i'm just gonna let the slime sit here all week and so the slime sat all week long and then People came in the fourth week of our event. Everybody had a good time. And I thought it was over. But on Monday morning, I get a call from a parent who says, hey, I'm in a walk-in clinic right now. And uh, my kid has rashes all over their body. Do you think it's possible that it would have come from the slime? No. You're the only person who called me? No, I don't think that. About 30 minutes later, another call. Hey, Dave, I'm in the walk-in clinic with my kid. Is it possible? By the end of that morning, no joke, over 20 calls from parents who were either in the ER or walk-in clinic, parents who were talking to one another, say, yeah, my kid's got rashes too. And, and so long story short, it was concluded that somebody had something in their skin, like a skin rash or whatever, that got into the slime. It brewed all week long, so it's like getting into a hot tub with some sort of fungus or vigorous or something. The doctors had a term for it. They called this folliculitis. Folliculitis, which is a skin disease or skin rash. True story, to this day, if I go back to Eastlake Church in San Diego, I have people say, Dave, folliculitis? I'm like, yeah, big dork, right? <laughs> but I was so scared. It was like, man, I felt like, because this was my responsibility, I was like, am I going to lose my job? And Pastor Ben did call me in, and he said, Dave, we got to put together a letter to send out to all the parents, to hundreds of parents. Those kids were um, in the program. Even if they weren't affected, we're going we're to send them a letter. It's going to be an apology. And, and then he said, and, and I've been thinking about it. You know, you've been doing children's ministry now for a little bit. I I think I'm going to promote you to over kids' ministry so you're not in the day to day details, right? (laughs) But we all either have things happen to us or we mess up our lives and do something stupid and we lose jobs or we mess up our finances. And what do you do when life doesn't turn out the way you're hoping? because ever since we're little kids, we're taught, well, if you have the right connections and you save enough money and you marry the right person and you stay away from drugs and alcohol, well, come on, life is gonna turn out pretty good. That's good advice, but you can do all the right things and have life still fall apart, and so to put my hope in God, this may sound very trite, I realize it, it's like a bumper sticker. To put my hope in God says, even though I don't know what the future holds, I know who holds the future. To, to put my hope in God means that the biggest hurts and the biggest pains in my life, I realize I, I didn't want to go through it, I didn't want to experience it, but God's going to use it for something meaningful and significant in me. That when I look at my biggest regrets and the things that I wish I could go back and undo, that God can use that for something in me. My, my biggest hurts don't have to be wasted. Hoping in God means I ultimately believe that his ways are better than my ways, It means that when I'm going through stressful and difficult seasons in my life, even though I wish I could escape it, I realize this, that God is with me even in the midst of difficulty. But hoping in God does not mean everything is gonna turn out happily ever after. And the example we have of this, we really don't need to look too far, is the Apostle Paul. Right, the Apostle Paul is the epitome of what it looks like to follow Jesus. In fact, you can you know, visit a cathedral, or you can drive by some churches that have statues of Paul, and it, you know, has some cr- crown coming from his head or some halo over his head. You look at stained glass windows, and it's like, oh, the Apostle Paul, he studied scriptures, he taught scriptures, he prayed, he, he was a tremendous leader. He would write uh, to letters to, to different churches. And then uh, he would uh, have influence in those churches. Thirteen of his letters made it into our Bible. They're still impacting the way we teach and the way we live our lives even today. That was the Apostle Paul. But you study his life. And there were seasons and there were moments and there were events that just went horribly wrong. So we're going to look at one of those moments today. To appreciate the story, to give you a little bit of of background, we have to understand that the Apostle Paul was a Jew. And most Jews hated non-Jews. They saw them as unclean. They saw them as, as people with issues. A lot of tension between the two groups. Yet Paul actually had friends who were non-Jews. Paul interacted with non-Jews. All right, this is like a Seahawks fan actually talking to a 49ers fan, and having a friendship with them, and, right, but with a lot more tension. With a lot more tension. And, and so because Paul had a lot of friends that were non-Jews, people made up stories about him, and there were rumors about him. And it got so bad that he would visit towns and he would visit cities and riots would break out over what people thought about Paul. And one time he's in Jerusalem and sure enough it happens, this big riot breaks out, people have made conclusions, there's rumors about him, and so Paul is arrested. And what's crazy is the people who arrest him really don't even know what he did. They just know he seems to be at the center of all this, so we're going to have to deal with this pretty quickly. Well, it doesn't happen quickly. He's thrown in jail, should have been a day or two, but he's left there. For two years, he's in prison, right? The judicial system, the legal system's totally messed up. We can't relate to that, but man, in that day, totally messed up. And after two years, it's finally decided, all right, Paul is going to go stand trial. We're going to send him to Rome, which means he has to get on a ship. And so in November of A.D. 59, Paul is placed on a ship with a couple hundred other passengers. This is not a Disney cruise, and so he's placed on this ship. It's, it's, it's November, which means the winter months are coming. This is the first century. They don't have the kind of technology we have today. Most ships are fully docked because the weather's unpredictable. They know it's hard to sail in the winter. And yet the captain of the ship says, no, we're going to Rome. And sure enough, they sail, and a few weeks into their journey, they hit very, very, very bad weather. Here's what we read. When a light wind began blowing from the south... The sailors thought they could make it, so they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster, burst across the island, and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. So Paul's on this ship, few hundred, a, few, a couple hundred prisoners uh, along with him. They're sailing close to the island of Crete, which is this island right here in the middle. They had left Jerusalem. They're now hanging out here, but a wind blows them out to sea, a wind of typhoon strength. This is an intense storm. A storm like this is it's crazy scary. It's causing everybody a lot of stress. And the question I have for you today is, have you ever been caught in the midst of a storm? Maybe you're in the midst of a storm today. I have. I've been caught in many storms, and over the past 10 years of speaking at Timberlake, I've shared very openly about storms that I've gone through in my life, and I want to kind of summarize those storms for you in a pretty succinct manner because I know that as I share about my storms, you can maybe relate by thinking of your own storms. When I started Great Lakes Church in southeast Wisconsin, I was 33 years old, and I didn't realize the financial challenges we would face, the leadership challenges, having to uh, direct a staff, having to navigate vision and think about the future. I didn't realize that all that stuff was there, and so I started to compile stress upon stress upon stress, and eventually, five years into leading the church, I was hit with such a bout of depression that there were a couple Sunday mornings where I literally called one of the leaders of our church and said, put in a teaching video, I just can't do it today. I've been caught in some storms before. I've been caught in a parenting storm. Multiple parenting storms. Nobody told me that as I'm leading a church and have this deep, growing love for God that two of my kids, my teenage daughters, would not have the same passion and excitement about God that I have. And that it would take them many, many years for their hearts to soften and for them to open up to Jesus. Jesus. Nobody told me when my one of my daughters were 14 that she would be so overcome with depression, anxiety that she would refuse to go to school, and so she moved out of her home and for five years has lived away with us from us trying to get help. And man, she is doing so much better, and she's about to finish her final program. I told her it's time done with programs. Now get on with life, right? But nobody told me I'd be hit with those storms. Nobody told me the pressures of leading a church would affect me in ways I wasn't prepared for. And in, two, seven, in 2017. My wife and I would have to go to crazy amounts of marriage counseling and we would end up in Florida at an intensive for one week in particular where we just had to work through some, some issues in order to just try to get healthy, to continue to move on. I, I've been caught in marriage storms. The, the biggest storm I've ever encountered started on April fourteenth, two 2008. That was the day a group of Marines wearing their dress blues showed up to my parents' house and knocked on the door. And uh, my mom went to answer, but she could see through the big window that these guys were wearing the dress blues. And having a son in Iraq, she quickly made some conclusions, connected the dots in her mind and started to break down in the living room and just couldn't answer the door. And so she started to yell for my dad. He was in the basement in his office and she yelled enough that finally he came up and he saw what was unfolding and he said, Susan, we're not going to jump to any conclusions. We're not going to connect any dots that aren't yet connected. Let's just... Let's just open the door and sure enough they were there to inform them that my brother Rick who had been serving in Iraq would be coming home in a body bag. He had been killed by a roadside bomb. He was killed just one week prior to his first wedding anniversary. That launched our family into a storm like none other. Now some of you today find yourself in a storm. We're nearing the end of 2019 and it hasn't unfolded the way you thought it would you're in a financial storm a parenting storm a marriage storm a career storm so how do you keep hoping god in the midst of a storm and that's what i want to look at today i want to see kind of how paul responded in the midst of the storm and hopefully take some lessons away and if you're a follower of jesus i'm pretty much going to tell you this really isn't even optional for us because as followers of jesus we've committed ourselves to saying god i follow you Your ways above my ways. As followers of Jesus, we're saying, man, ultimately, I choose to put my hope in God. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here because someone said there's cake or there's a, you know, you're invited to my house for Thanksgiving or Christmas this year if you just go to church one time, like, you do what you want to with what we're talking about and you can kind of pick and choose and see if it applies. But I'm telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, we don't really have a lot of option in saying, man, I've got to do some things to make sure my hope and my foundation is in Christ alone. So the first thing we learn in this story is how important it is in the midst of a storm to stay put. Because the temptation when things are going bad and life is stressful and things seem to fall apart is just kind of to to run. It's to get away. It's to pretend that things are fine and and to ignore what's happening. It's to quit and to give up. Now I'm going to be a little lighthearted here. I'm going to give you a riddle and I want you to tell me if you can figure out what these three things from my childhood all have in common. Algebra, making my bed, and spinach. (laughs) I hated them all. Right? They all caused me stress. They all caused me challenges. I didn't like them. Right? With algebra, I couldn't care less when you put numbers and letters together in different you know, designs. Like, I, I, don't care. I, I don't care when a train leaves New York going 75 miles an hour at 5pm and it just like, it doesn't matter to me. Right? So I just wanted to quit algebra. I wanted to quit school actually many times when I was growing up. And then I'm making my bed. I had the same argument I'm sure you had. Why make my bed when I get up if I'm just going to sleep in it again? I still feel that way, right? But when we got married, my wife, based out of just patterns and routines from her childhood, she would make the bed, and we'd get in this discussion. It wasn't an argument, but I'd be like, are we giving any tours of our house today? Like, you can make it, it looks fine, but even if we were given tours and someone came into our bedroom, nobody's gonna be like, the Nelsons are doing good. Look at, they have 32 pillows on their bed, woo! So I still think it's a waste, right? And then, of course, spinach. That's well, healthy for you. And the argument my parents would give, same argument I'm sure your parents gave, you need to eat your spinach because it'll make you strong like Popeye. Popeye had a crooked mouth and ugly girlfriend. I don't want to be Popeye. <laughs> right, but when there's things in life that we don't like, when there's things in life that stresses out or overwhelm or we don't, it doesn't make sense to us, we just want to quit. We just want to give up. We just want to throw in the towel. But in the midst of the f- storm, one of the worst things we can do is try to jump ship. So we're in a marriage storm and we want to run to another relationship. We're in a storm and a crisis of our own insecurities and we want to run to more alcohol than is healthy for us. We want to run to social media and let the world know about our problems. We want to run to all kinds of unhealthy outbursts. But often the wisest thing we can do in any storm is just stay put, stay faithful. Now now to give you context, Paul is on this ship and it's halfway between the islands of Crete and Malta. Okay, this is where the the ship is now. The storm is still out of control. And here's what we read. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. So they're on this ship that's just kind of, it's starting to fall apart, and they try to abandon it. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. So they're acting like they're putting out anchors. Hey, everybody, don't pay attention to us, but they're really putting out the lifeboat because they're going to escape and they're going to leave everybody else to die. This is what happens When we get caught in a storm, we like to pretend. We like to run from the mess instead of address it. Because as humans, we kind of convince ourselves, well, life will just fix itself, and things will eventually get better. And So even in settings like this, it's easy to put on a smile and say, I'm blessed, God's good, he's faithful, and just our life's falling apart, but we don't want to be honest and open about the crisis in our life. So here's what we read happens next. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. Paul, tremendous leader. People trusted his leadership. So as he's saying this, the captain of the ship, the crew, they're listening to Paul and saying, okay. And so Paul says, don't abandon ship. Don't pretend. And the sailors take his advice to get rid of the lifeboat. Here's what we read next. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. We're just gonna stay put. When you're in a storm, you're gonna panic. You're gonna stress out. But often the biggest and most important thing you can do is just stay faithful. Stay faithful in your marriage. Stay faithful in your finances. Stay with your budget, right? Give, save, live on the rest, whatever your budget looks like. It's staying faithful as a parent and doing your best, knowing the rest is out of your hands. Now, I know you don't think about this much, but over the past 30 years, this church has experienced many storms. Attendance storms. Financial storms vision and leadership storms, staffing storms. If everybody who was in the midst of the storm in those seasons jumped ship and said, we got to find another church, we got to find another faith community, you would not be experiencing the best days. You would not be experiencing the momentum you're experiencing at year 30. It was because there was a group of people that just stayed faithful in the midst of the storm. One of the biggest challenges when we lost my brother was just holding on to our regular routines. But we had people in our life that loved us and just said, hey, as as best as possible, just stick with your regular routines, right? When you're going through a storm, it's easy to stop being a part of a church family, but that's when you need the family the most. It's easy to stop being a part of your growth group or having the connections you have, and that's when we need to be faithful the most. So if you're going through a storm, I want you to stay hopeful. Don't react, stay the course. Second thing we learn from this story as it starts to unfold is how important it is to take care of ourselves. You know, for most of the journey that Paul's been on, the weather's been really unpredictable. And so the majority of the crew and passengers have stopped eating, which is interesting because when I'm stressed, that's when I eat, right? But they've stopped eating, so here's what we read next. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. He said, you've been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. He said, I'm telling you, you need to take care of yourself because when storms are raging in our life, it's easy to ignore our physical health. It's easy to not pay attention to our financial health, our spiritual health, our mental health, our emotional health. It's easy to check out and stop caring, but if we're going to remain hopeful, we can't do that. So going back to the loss of my brother, when Ricky was killed... Everyone in my family grieved differently. But the one thing we all did our best to do, and it's because the advice that we got was we tried to stay healthy. I I think of my parents. My mom, uh, who's pictured here, she initially spent most of her time, the weeks following Rick's death, staying super, super busy and not letting her mind get distracted, Okay, so people would bring dinners over and she would be cooking and serving them and they're like, Susan, please sit down. She's like, I just need to let my mind not focus on his death. But that was fine for a little bit because we all grieved differently, but eventually she got into grief counseling and eventually she slowed down and had to deal with the death. My dad, uh, initially after Rick's death, he would lock himself in his office in the basement. We'd all be looking, where's dad, where's dad? And sure enough, he'd be locked in his office and we knew he was going through his grieving, his crying, and just trying to wrestle with things, but eventually, that's fine for a while, but eventually he knew he had to get out. I was living in Bothell at the time, and the way I grieved was I'd made a website for Rick, and, and then uh, I would find all these different articles. We were blessed and that's So many cool articles are written. He was even featured in a documentary, a story, and there were just so many cool things that were happening that we felt so blessed with. I'd find these. I'd be sending it to my dad and my mom, like, look, there's another article. Look at this. Read this. And my dad, after about four or five weeks, he called me, and I remember where I was in Bothell, and he said, hey, Dave, I, I love that you care about this, and Rick had, you know, it was so meaningful to you, but Dave, you need to just stop obsessing right now. And he said, I'm gonna challenge you, go a couple weeks without getting on the internet and searching these things and building out a website. Because at a certain point, he realized we, we need to take care of ourselves, and so I had to make myself the focus for a while. That's the second lesson. Third lesson, when we're in the midst of the storm, is it's important in the storm to give thanks. See, see, when life's going good, it's, you know, oh Lord, my team won with the last minute field goal, you are good, you are so faithful, right? I didn't get any bird doo-doo on my car, it's awesome. I had a guy in our church not long ago, he stopped me and he said, hey Dave, I just want to tell you, I put my house on the market, sold the same day for more than asking price, God is good. And I high-fived him. I said, hey, can I tell you something? He said, yeah. I said, if you didn't sell your house and you foreclosed on it, God's still good. (laughs) He's like, ooh, you got a point. (laughs) Guys, it's easy to thank God when things are going good, but let's be honest, a lot of life is filled with stress and difficulty. It's easy to become jaded and cynical. Right? just look at the last couple weeks in the news. You've got wildfires in California, you've got another school shooting, some plague that we thought was eliminated from our planet shows up in a remote part on this earth, right? Uh, politics continue to divide. It's just easy to get jaded and cynical. I I read, I was preparing for a talk at the church that I give on on anger and I I came across this statistic that seven out of ten Americans say they get angry every day over something they see in the news. It's just easy. My question is, is there even a news story out there that we can all agree is a feel-good story and nobody's going to get mad? Well, I think I found one. Her name is Baby Chanko. She's one of the faces of Pantene Shampoo. She has 399,000 Instagram followers because of her beautiful head of hair. I look at that and say, Can anybody, can anybody have a hard heart over Baby Chanko? Well, yes. If you read stories about Baby Chanko, all you need to do is go to the comment section cuz that's where all the angry people hang out. Here are some of the angry Here were some of the angry comments about this. That stupid Margaret Thatcher haircut makes me so mad. Really? She looks creepy with that hair. But here is, here's my favorite. This will just tell you how, how intense we can get, right? This story about Baby Chanko is nothing more than propaganda meant to distract you from the reality of our crumbling democracy. <laughs> Whoa. Guys, when our hope is truly placed in God, we can go to bed at the end of a very stressful and difficult day, and we can be honest, God, this was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Nobody called me back for my second interview. I don't see any prospects for jobs on the horizon. I thought things were going to be better than this, but here's what I know. I know you love me, and I know you're with me. And I'm reminding myself that my hope is in you. So after encouraging the passengers and the crew to eat, here's what we read. Then Paul took some bread, and he gave thanks to God before them all. He said, Father, we're we're in the midst of a storm right now, but we're grateful we have something to eat. And he broke off a piece, and he ate it. And then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. In the midst of a storm, Paul is thanking God. He's finding the good. He's remembering where his hope is. In the midst of difficult seasons, I know it's hard to find the good, but we've got to do it. First couple of holidays without Rick, we cried, we talked about all these sad stories, but eventually my dad said, hey guys, Let's start talking about the good. Let's start laughing together. Let's start remembering the impact he's made. I talked about 2017 and 2018 being the two most stressful years that I've ever went through as a pastor. And it happened because one of our, uh, well, our our largest campus, not one of, but our largest campus uh, had to move six times in a year. Lost hundreds of people, down significantly in our finances. I didn't know if if our church was even going to exist after this was said and done. It was just... Horribly stressful for me. And so I would call Pastor Ben in that season a lot. And I would always just unleash, and I would just, all these emotions, and I'd talk to him, and I was always so discouraged. I wasn't necessarily depressed in that season, but I was really, really discouraged. And so finally, here's how Pastor Ben would answer the phone. Truly, when he'd see me, that it was me calling, he'd say, tell me something good that's happening, Dave. Um, um, well, God's still good, I guess, right? And I would try to just, but Ben knew that's what I needed. Ben's always been like a grandfather in my life. He's just. <laughs> there is something about thanking God during the storms that builds our faith, right? To remember God's past faithfulness fuels our confidence in his future faithfulness. So in the midst of the storm, in the midst of a parenting storm, we're still thanking God for our kids. In the midst of a marriage storm, we're still thanking God that there's this thing called love even though it feels so distant. And there's a fourth lesson we learn from the storm, and it's this, hold on to whatever you have to hold on to. So in the storm, Paul, the ship Paul's on, it's starting to get close to the island of Malta. They know the ship's going to run aground, and so they start to put down anchors. Here's what we read, but they hit a shoal, a shallow part in the ground, and they ran the ship aground too soon, and the bow of the ship struck, stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. So now the crew and the passengers are in a terrifying situation. Everybody knows disaster's coming. They're all terrified for their lives, but the soldiers are not just terrified for their lives. They're thinking, hey, the the prisoners are going to escape, and now we're going to be held accountable And so they're terrified for their jobs in the midst of everything else. So here's what happens next. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. Others held onto planks or debris from the broken ship. They just found something that they could hold on to and they held on to it while they made their way to shore. In the midst of the storm, we just have to do our best to find something to hold on to. As you can imagine, with Rick's death, there were shoebox after shoebox filled with cards and letters and newspaper clippings that we just collected. And there were many, many times in that season where we just went and were re- reading these cards again these words of encouragement, the impact Rick had had on people's lives. Maybe for you, on your way to your job, because you're in a career storm right now, maybe the best thing you can do is just put on music that is worship music that reminds you of the greatness of God and it takes your eyes off your current circumstances and it puts it on to something so much bigger than you. Or maybe it's Bible verses from the ancient scriptures that remind you of God's faithfulness and remind you of God's character. Maybe that's what gets you through. Maybe what you have to hold on to is the routines and the patterns of, again, I'm in this crazy storm, but I'm going to continue to be faithful in my church attendance. I'm going to be faithful in my group. I'm going to continue to keep the friends that I have. Maybe for you it's identifying a healthy habit that's easy to walk away from because you got so many other things going on, but you're saying, man, I'm going to hold on to this habit because I need to stay healthy in this season. What is it that you need to hold on to? Hold on to it. You know, your life may feel like a bunch of broken pieces, but God can still get you to your destination. I talked to a guy this morning who, he said, I said, how long you been at Timber Lake? And he said, a few years. And he said, you know what led me here? I was going through a storm in my life. And I showed up, and this has been a place of hope. God uses storms sometimes to get us to places of hope. And I love what the Apostle Paul writes in one of his letters, Pastor Ben read it last week. He says, we are hard pressed on every side. But we are not crushed we have every reason to be hopeless but we are not hopeless we're perplexed but not in despair we're persecuted but not abandoned struck down but not destroyed i want you to know you can have hope in god hope that there is more to this life than what you can see happening in front of you at this very moment hope that even when your life does fall apart god can bring beauty out of ashes Hope that God can take the regrets and failures that you wish you could undo and he uses them for something significant and meaningful and hope that people can change. Hope that your life can change. So placing our hope in God, I think I've been clear, it's not putting on a smile and saying I'm blessed all the time. It's not pretending. Placing our hope in God means even though it feels like the world around me is falling apart and maybe my life is falling apart, I can still have hope because God is with me. And that's the bottom line, that whatever storm you're going through, you can still have hope because God is with you. This is what's unique to those of us who follow Jesus. Our confidence is not in our career. It's not in our kids. It's not in our marriage. It's not in our friendships. Our confidence is in God. And as King David wrote, may it be in God alone. So if you're in a storm, stay put. Take care of yourself. Give thanks and hold on to whatever it is you have to hold on to. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.